Howdy folks, and welcome to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and what we are is basically a campus ministry for the convinced and unconvinced believers and non-believers. We put a lot of emphasis on being community and people-oriented, and promoting a welcoming atmosphere of inclusivity and comfort. Uh, What this podcast is, is a collection of our worship night sermons given by our campus minister, William Bondrant. Um, So, without further ado, we really hope that you all enjoy this talk. Alright. Howdy. Howdy. Welcome to RUF. If you're new, it's always fun to see new faces, old faces, all faces, we love faces. Um, And uh, just, yeah, I want to give a special welcome. Uh, We are, just reiterate what Caitlin said earlier. We're a community for like people that love Jesus, know Him, like want to serve, want to do this Christianity thing, and we're also a community for people here that like maybe you like don't like Jesus, like maybe you're still trying to figure out who He is. Maybe you're actually really angry at God. Like this is a place for anybody and everybody that we want this to be a non-judgmental environment uh, for you to explore. Um, who Jesus is, uh, to see what does it actually mean to follow him and, uh, and to do life in, in a body, in a community of believers, and to just even maybe try that on. So whatever brought you here tonight, uh, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, again, so I don't even know if I said this. My name is William, uh, and I'm the campus minister for RUF and just whatever I can do for you to help you get plugged in, learn more, answer your questions. Um, we're here for you. So... Uh, this semester, we are doing a sermon series through the first kind of chunk, first handful of chapters of the book of Genesis. It's Old Testament book, actually the first book of the Old Testament. And the, the book of Genesis is this book of beginnings. And it lays out for us the foundations, really from which the entire rest of the Bible uh, then unfolds. Okay, so... Um, let me ask you something. When you read the Bible, maybe even specifically when you read the Old Testament, uh, through which lens do you kind of read it? Especially when you're looking at the figures of Noah, Moses, and Abraham, David, all these things. Like, How do you interpret those stories? I think a, a common way that people do that is to kind of look at it like a, a moral tale. You know, some... Bible hero that serves as some kind of moral example that we're supposed to follow. Be good or faithful or courageous like this person. Uh, right? Maybe you too can defeat the giants in your life. I think the problem with that is that when you actually read the Old Testament, you are going to be very confused. Because sure, there might be some shining moments in different biblical figures' lives. But actually, more often than not, you're going to see them blow it. You're going to see them make huge mistakes. You're going to see them actually make just a wreck, a train wreck of their lives. And actually, I think the Old Testament, rather than being a story about a whole bunch of heroes, is actually a story about a whole bunch of messed up, screwed up, sinful people that God in His love and grace is actually chasing down and pursuing um, and that he is intensely obsessed with saving messed up, screwed up people. Kind of like you and me. 
All right, so we're going to pick back up uh, with the story of Noah. We're going to see how the Bible closes out his particular story. So we're going to pick back up again, Genesis chapter 9, starting verse 18. You can follow along in your Bible. Uh, we should have the text up here and on your bulletin. So however, however you want to read it. Um, all right, Genesis 9, 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. Let's pray. Um, yeah, Lord, I think if, if we were going to go like, try to flip through the Bible real quick and find, like, what, what's something I can read that's going to be particularly encouraging for my life today? And we, like, flipped through and stuck our finger on this and read it. Uh, I, I think we'd be confused. Um, I don't know that we would readily be like, oh, like great, uplifting story about like, people getting drunk, people getting cursed, like children like doing weird things with their father. Like this is this is kind of a mess, as we said earlier. Um, but Lord, I pray that that would actually be encouraging for us tonight, as we are people uh, that we've made a mess of our lives in different ways. We've all made mistakes. Um, as your scriptures say, not, not one of us is righteous. No, not one. And so Lord, I pray that as we unpack uh, this and the end of the story of Noah, that we would find here some good news for broken people that need it. And it's your name I ask this. Amen. Alright, so Ross Dufit, maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a New York Times journalist. And he's also a devout Christian. And he has a new book out called In the Deep Places, where he shares his reflections on his still ongoing uh, battle with Lyme disease. And in the book, he essentially takes a sledgehammer to some common Christian-y myths. And the first one he decides to smash to pieces is, is the line, quote-unquote, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Or maybe we could kind of say it like this, that, that God has a comfy, cozy American dream uh, plan for your life. And in a, in a book review I was reading by Brad East, he, he summarizes it like this. So Brad East says, Writing of the sequence of events that led to his getting bitten by a deer tick, Harvard degree, Atlantic blogger, New York Times columnist, wonderful wife, beautiful kids, 
a move from a cramped apartment in D.C. to a country house in small town Connecticut, Duthit confesses that, quote, it felt like confirmation that we were on the right path and that I had planned and worked and won the things I wanted and that I deserved them. That my ambitions and God's purposes could stroll along together nicely. That bad things might sometimes happen to good uh, meritocrats. I don't know how to say that. Like a meritocracy, meritocrats. But surely not to me. The themes of, and East goes on to say, the themes of hubris and exceptionalism recur in the memoir. Duthit is unsparing in his self-exposure. A running metaphor comes from the C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in which a nasty child is transformed into a dragon and his only hope of changing back into a boy is Aslan's claws peeling, scraping, tearing, flaying the dragon scales off his body. The metaphor works well for Duthit's experience of chronic illness. His deepest desire is for a sort of divine desquamation, in other words, a, a peeling off of skin only from the inside out. The metaphor works too. For his approach to telling his story, the scales of hypocrisy and self-importance just keep molting. Humility, in this case, I love this, comes only by way of public humiliation. Humility, in this case, comes only by way of public humiliation. And Noah is there, right? Totally exposed. In the most literal way possible, someone could be exposed. Um, right? We just get to see on display the flawed, weak, sinful person he actually is. And we, we talk a lot, at least if you come around RUF, you'll, you'll hear us talk about this, uh, that there's a difference between Guilt and shame, right? Both biblical categories, but kind of different. Guilt is the experience or conviction of having done something wrong. So guilt is the idea like, I broke some law. Shame, on the other hand, is the feeling that you are wrong. Right? That there is something about you that is not enough. Right? Something that's insufficient. Maybe even that you are not worthy of love inherently baked into you. Um, and our passage certainly has something to say about guilt. But man, I just think this passage is a clinic on the reality of shame in our lives. So I just want us to go there. So tonight, let's look at two things. First, shame exposed. And second, shame covered. So shame exposed. We find Noah, aftermath, some pretty insane stuff, worldwide flood. Him and his family are the only survivors of this catastrophic thing. And he's experienced from God, as we saw last week, this, this call to be fruitful, multiply, right? You're kind of this new Adam figure. Go out and rebuild the world, rebuild human society. And I think you can, just for a second, if you feel that, like that's, that's some serious way. Like, go rebuild human society. Um, and I think you and I feel, maybe not to a huge, massive degree, but maybe we feel the weight of that in our life. All right, go forth. Get a degree, make good enough grades to get the internship that you need to get or into the grad school you want to get into. Right? Go build the resume in such a way that you get um, the job. Build a future, provide for yourself. Do something worth doing in the world. Maybe not just something that's a paycheck, but something that even impacts the world in a powerful way. Do you feel that, the weight of that? Or maybe have a certain degree of social capital or coolness. 
that maybe members of the opposite sex will like you, maybe even want to get married to you one day. Maybe uh, have a certain level of social capital and coolness that like, members of the same sex will like you and want to put you in their spheres and social circles and networks. Right? Go be fruitful and multiply. And the thing is, like, that's a blessing. When God says go do this, it's actually a blessing. But we can so often experience it as a curse, right? as a burden, as a weight. Why? Because of shame. Because of shame. Because of the fall. Because of our broken, dislodged relationship with God. Right? Our existence and our working, our socializing, it feels like just one big exercise in us being exposed as inferior and not enough. I think Noah felt that. How do I know Noah felt that? Because he desperately reached out and clawed after something that could make that feeling of insufficiency go away. Right? He just got totally tanked on wine one day. Joshua Ray Walker. Any Joshua Ray Walker fans out there? I knew Noah would know who. Man. Joshua Ray Walker, he's kind of one of my favorite musicians. He's a Dallas native musician. Come on, Texans. Support some local musicians. He's from like the Deep Ellum area. And uh, his songs are just these powerfully vulnerable windows into, I just think, human, the human experience. And one thing you should know about him is he's just, he's this really tall, just really big, overweight guy. He obviously struggles with overeating and overconsumption. And he has a song called Canyon. And he talks about himself in that song like this. He says, I'm a big, big man. Not just in size or in stature. In terms of space that can't be filled. I'm a bottomless canyon without a drop to spill. That's profound. Do you hear him? I think certainly he's talking about maybe struggles with eating and drinking. He's talking about something much deeper, isn't he? He's talking about that all to human experience of I, in and of myself, there is an emptiness inside of me. There is a void inside of me, and I need to consume. I, it doesn't matter what, really, right? TV, entertainment, food, drink, sex, whatever it is, I need to consume because something needs to fill that void. No matter what I fill it, it's not enough. I still need more and more and more. Look, have you, have you ever done the math um, kind of on the things that you fill yourself with? Right? Why, why do you reach for alcohol, even as maybe you're, you're underage, but you're reaching for it? Uh, maybe you're of age, and that's is, you know, alcohol is a good gift of the Lord. If you're of age, enjoy it. But maybe you're not just reaching for it to enjoy a good gift. Maybe you're reaching for it to overconsume, to numb out, to take the edge off in some way. Right? Why, why is it so hard for you to show up to a gathering of friends and just be you, right? Unencumbered, not with any other substance um, kind of giving you that liquid courage um, because you have shame. That's why you can't do it. And that shame says you don't deserve love. You are not worthy. You, not, you are not enough. And so we try to make ourselves enough with something or try to numb that feeling. We do that with controlled eating, addictive exercise, 
Uh, we do it with porn, like I said. We do it with controlling the social circles in the events we find ourselves in, right? Like, we never commit to coming to things until the last minute. Why? Because we're just always holding out for, like, when's maybe the, the next better, the next cooler hang option out there. Instead of just being willing to be with the people God's put in front of us to love right then and there. Um, and here's the problem. With whatever it is we're reaching out and clawing for uh, that are holding out this promise to de-shame us, here's the problem with them. One, they're never enough. They are slave masters that will demand more and more of us with diminishing return. And two, those things will always drive us deeper into shame, right? They promise to de-shame us, they drive us deeper into shame because they actually expose us more, right? What? Why do you go into just obsessive video game playing? Because you're bored and you're lonely. Um, and the more you dive into just spending all your time playing video games all the time, not being with real people, you're just further concreting into your life the reality that I'm bored and lonely. Um, right? If I run to a dating relationship right, or, or sex to make myself feel like I am something. The more I run to it, the more I am solidifying that I am really nothing without this person or this gratification. Right? And that's exactly where Noah found himself. Totally exposed. Right? Just a naked drunk fool on the ground. And to whatever extent he felt like I'm not enough. I need to reach for something. Like now being the passed out dude at the party is kind of like, yeah, Noah, like you are kind of, you are kind of awful. Um, right? So have you done the math? Have you done the math on your shame? Why do you reach for what you reach for? Are you willing to have the Holy Spirit actually show your insides to you on that? Okay, so what if we do? What if we do have eyes to see this, ears to hear this? What do we do now? Shame covered. All right, so we get this weird scene, again, where Noah's son, Ham, he goes into the tent, and then he goes and tells his brothers about their sloppy drunk dad. And commentators, they'll go back and forth on what's going on here because the passage says that Noah wakes up and he knew what Ham did to him. And so some people will extrapolate out that maybe Ham somehow um, like sexually abused Noah. That's possible. And, and so I always just want to take the opportunity in times like that because it's just statistics dictate that like, there are people in this room right here that have been sexually abused. There's just too many people in this room for it not to be true. Um, there are people in this room that is true of you. And if that is true of you, like, I just want to be the person that says that the scriptures are crystal clear that it is evil that has been done to you, God is not okay with it, and it is not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, and look, if you, I don't want to spend more time on that, but if you want to talk about that, um, I'd be happy to. Our interns would be happy to. We're, we're here as the REF staff to enter into those kinds of things um, with you. So I'll leave that there. Okay, but what seems most clear in this is, um, and, and excuse, this is going to feel maybe kind of teachy for a second, but hang in with me. 
is, okay, we have in the aftermath of this event, Noah, he, he declares this curse over Ham slash Canaan, his descendant. And if you know, if you are familiar with the Bible, you know, like, Canaan is in the land of Canaan. That was the enemy of the Israelites. So they're going ahead and just connecting the dots from they or the sins of Ham. Okay. So, um, and then we also have these blessings on Shem and Japheth. And the thing we're going to see next week is the way that all the peoples and all the nations of the earth kind of pour out from these three people. So more on that next week. But what this is also, this curse and these blessings is connected to one of the ideas that we've touched on on multiple sermons this semester. And it's this idea that you can divide human history along two groups of people, two competing groups of people, actually two groups of people that are at war at enmity with one another. There's the offspring of the serpent, a.k.a. Satan. In other words, people of the world that are enslaved, aligned with Satan. Um, And then there are the offspring of the woman, those that are aligned with God, and particularly with his covenant promise that one day there would be a man who would rise up and crush Satan, sin, death, his power over the world, shame, uh, but also in turn be crushed himself right and so we are seeing here just the the continuation of those two lines here in the children of noah those two kingdoms and so ham in his behavior is showing himself to be son of satan because he does exactly what satan does what does satan do he exposes and he accuses people in their shame you know we're on the heels of of Spooky season, which Halloween is my favorite favorite holiday. I know it's Maggie's too. Um, and you know, I think oftentimes when we're thinking about like evil, spooky, spiritual stuff, I think we often uh, over spiritualize that sometimes. And that's not to say like there are definitely spiritual forces at work in this world um, in in all kinds of crazy ways um, that happens. But you know. I think before we kind of jump to the conclusion that like, ooh, like don't mess with Ouija boards or witchcraft because we're going to tear open some kind of hole from like the evil spiritual realm into our realm and like don't do that. I think that's actually an over-spiritualization of what the Bible has to say about um, evil spiritual forces. Do you know where you can find uh, evil spiritual forces live and active in your life. Evil spiritual forces are live and active when you look at yourself in the mirror and you just like, ugh, at yourself because you're like, my body's just gross. But that's actually satanic powers at work. Evil spiritual forces are live and active when you kind of look at the, the weakness and the failure of another human being and instead of moving towards them in kindness, you go, I knew you were a joke. Right? This is why you don't deserve my time. Right? This is why I can just be indifferent to you. That, 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 that is evil. That's satanic stuff. But what's the posture of the godly line? Uh, verse 23. If you look back there with me. Uh, then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. 
Okay, so they weren't, they weren't being naive. They knew their dad was a mess. They weren't making excuses for him. There's nothing to indicate in this pasture that they were being enablers with him. What they did was take a posture of, I am no better. And what people need in their shame isn't to be berated. It's not to be mocked. It's not to be shunned. It's not to be made fun of. It's to be cared for and loved tenderly cared for, treated with the dignity that, yes, the dignity that they actually deserve. Why? Because they are made in God's image. Because we're really all just one circumstance away. We're just all like one bad test grade, one weird social faux pas away from being exposed or not being enough to. And y'all, really what Shem and Japheth did is what they did is they preached the gospel to their dad in that moment. Do you know why God himself stepped into human flesh as the ultimate offspring of the woman? Actually, let me ask you like this. How could Shem and Japheth not look at the shame of their father? I think because they were looking to something else. They were looking at the promise of the one that would deliver them, deliver their father from just a black hole sink pit of our shame. They're doing what Hebrews 12 says. They're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, doing what? Despising the shame. Does Jesus despise shame? Oh, he hates it. It is his enemy. And he experienced the entire bottomless canyon of shame until it was filled all the way up. All the ways that you and I feel like we're a joke, Jesus became the ultimate cosmic joke for us. And then Jesus' finished work on the cross, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the entirety of the Godhead joins hands in their gaze, firmly and irrevocably fixed away from our shame. God doesn't look at our shame. Instead, God clothes us in the dignity and the value and the righteousness of God. Um, friends, I... You know, I don't know, like when you think about ministry or like what, what I'm trying to do or what Maggie or George, like when we meet with you, I don't, I don't know like how like ministry comes across to you. Do, do you feel like we're just kind of trying to expose you? Like we're just trying to get you at your sin? Like, ha, I knew it. You do sin. We know you do sin, right? Spoiler alert. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're not trying to get you. What are we trying to do? We're trying to let you expose, give you the opportunity to expose your insufficiency so that we can speak the covering of Jesus over you. Right? And the only way that can happen is if you and I can actually just speak these things, if we, we call it confession. You know, one of the things that Christians used to do that kind of got thrown out, the baby got thrown out with bathwater, is people just sit down with their pastors and say, hey, here's where I'm struggling. And the pastor go, hey, here's how Jesus covers you with his blood. Um, that's what we're trying to do, right? When you can be exposed, it's only then that you can actually be covered. And that's the opposite world of the kingdom. And so consider that an invitation to enter that kingdom. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, whew, would you...
um, right now in this moment. I, I know for a lot of us, uh, we've been walking with you for a while and, and probably just kind of having just this conversation of shame has maybe just like, we're, we've already keyed in on a few things like, ooh, I'm trying to numb out here. I'm trying to not feel this there. And I'm totally using this thing as a lever to try to pull and, um, and, and cover over my insufficiency. And I pray, Lord, that having those things uncovered, that it would just make us lean in to who we are in Jesus. We're sons, we're daughters in whom you're well pleased. That the, the, the feeling, the experience of saying, like, I do not deserve love, that you would shout that down in our hearts and we would know the love of God and the glory in the face of Jesus that just smiles and shines on us. Lord, for some of us here, um, maybe our minds are blown and just in a conversation about shame and, um, and idolatry and things like that, we're like, whoa, I don't know that I've really understood exactly what this Christianity thing's all about. Uh, I, I pray, uh, Lord, I, I just want to invite those people to like, pray this prayer, like, Lord, uh, Expose me. Take away my ploys of covering myself up in my own power or in substances or, you know, clever works or school or working or busy, whatever the things we're doing. Would you actually leave me exposed and naked so that I could experience what it means to actually be right with you and have a dignity that comes from something other than me? Lord, would you fill the void that I feel in my heart? Lord, I... I pray uh, that people would pray that, Lord, and that you would meet them um, in that. Walking backwards, eyes firmly fixed, away from our sin, fixed on Jesus, and covering us. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel Uh, On the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays, go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.